Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. The Gospel of John, chapter 9. Now, Jesus has been teaching and having conflict with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They actually called him and his power the power of Satan during one of the exchanges. Jesus calls them liars and children of the devil. And so it is back and forth with Jesus, of course, speaking the truth. And the Pharisees and the priests are trying to protect the industry that they have invented. And so in chapter 9, it starts by saying, as he passed by, and you have to ask the question, Where did Jesus pass by? Where does this take place? There is no hint. In the previous chapters, sometimes when you're reading through the Gospels, you can tell where Jesus is because the previous sentence says he was in Capernaum or something like that. We know that when he comes across somebody who is begging and the person who is blind from birth Uh, was begging because it says that before in other places. The people say, isn't that person who was begging? If you look at where people begged in Palestine, where where they begged, where the Jewish people would put invalid people, it was always near the temple. And it was near the temple because as people were heading to the temple for worship, They would usually be under some level of guilt or conviction, and if they saw somebody in need, they would try to appease God, perhaps, perhaps earn favor with God by giving alms to the uh, handicapped and the poor, and so families would put people who were like blind, would put them near the temple because they would make a fairly substantial amount of money during the day, and then that would help the family take care of them. And so as he passed by, uh, commentators are, are saying that Jesus either was going to the temple or had just come out of the temple, and there's this person begging along with others. And Jesus saw a man, saw him who was blind by birth. This person does not speak up. This person does not say, have mercy on me, son of David, as others have who were begging. This person is, in essence, silent as Jesus was passing by. Jesus was probably in a crowd. He was with at least 12 others. But since Jesus could not show his face out in public without a large crowd coming, he probably had a large crowd with him. And so this person who was begging was just pleased or interested that he heard coins going into his little bucket. 
And so Jesus saw a man who was blind from birth. He knew this. He knew this man. This didn't have to be explained to him. There needed to be no introduction. Even though his name is not mentioned, Jesus knows his name. Jesus knows his parents. Jesus knows his grandparents. Jesus knows all about this person. He knows that this person was blind from birth. Now, there are a couple unique things about this miracle. The first is, this is the only miracle where it is a congenital or a from birth uh, situation. Now, others may have been that, a paralysis, for example. You could be paralyzed from birth. But this person is the only one where it says that this is a lifelong, this is a from birth situation. This is the only healing of that type of stated um, malady in the Gospels. The second is, this is such a big and major miracle that it is the only miracle in which the debate and the discussion about the miracle takes a whole chapter in the Bible. This miracle starts in verse 1 and ends in verse 41, all the way at the end. A whole chapter is dedicated to this miracle and what it means and why it happened and how people are pleased and how people are not pleased. And so this is a, a some, some would say, a milestone. Some would say a turning point. Some would say... Jesus now has the attention of the establishment in a very big way, and they are making arguments against him so that they are now moving, even in John chapter 9, they are moving to get Jesus out of the picture, to plot, to kill him. And so what is the, what is the miracle in verses 1 through 5? It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you look at that and you go, well, that's a strange thing to ask. That is a difficult question to ask at this point. But if you look at how you live, how everybody lives. We live in a cause and effect world. We know that if we go to the store and I lay some money down, I can get the soda. A cause and effect. We know that if we drive recklessly, there is a greater chance of being in an accident. It is a cause and effect. We plan things knowing that if I do this, this, and this, then that, that, and that will happen. If I go to work, there's a good chance I will get paid. If I do not go to work, there's a good chance I will not. This sort of cause and effect. And that idea goes back, as far back as human history, from very early, probably Adam and Eve talked about it a bit, you know, that if I do this, they were supposed to cultivate a garden, if they pruned this bush back, it would produce more fruit. They might have reasoned. And so the idea that 
Sin causes disease or sin causes maladies or problems or discomfort is an idea that goes way back when God is talking to Moses at Mount Sinai. He is actually discussing how much he will put upon people generational sin. Generational sin is actually discussed between God and Moses because Moses had an understanding and the people before Moses had an understanding that if a parents were evil or bad or drug lords or whatever, that God would see that and punish their kids and grandkids for the parents' sin. That was a belief. You can find that in extra-biblical writings back in that time. You can find that in Greek and Roman writings that there is intergenerational sin. And we can look at that and go, well, that's just logical. If you have bad parents, they will have bad kids and they will be bad parents. And I've heard people reason that out as just normal human nature. But there is an idea and there's even an idea today, and you might have thought about this idea once or twice, that if I do something that I perceive God to not like, I will be punished. I have heard people, when I was growing up, say that I need to tithe my allowance, and that if I do not tithe my allowance, God will get the money from me some other way. That there is God looking at me, and if I do something wrong, he's going to punish me in this life. Now, there, is, there are consequences to our behavior. If I, have, if I live a life of crime, there's a chance that I will be arrested. And if I'm arrested, I will be put in prison. And if I say... You know, this is something God did to me. Well, kind of, but usually it's societal consequences. If I take drugs and drink my whole life, it's possible, in fact, it's a good chance, that I will have health problems. There are consequences to the things that I do, and we can honestly say that God has built those into human nature and society. But to say that, this person or his parents sinned and so he was born blind is a misunderstanding about how God works at that time and even today. Now you can also look at it and say, he was born blind, how could it be his sin? How could he sin? We don't know. We don't know what the disciples were thinking but if you look back at ancient Greek and ancient Roman theological, philosophical writings, they were beginning to play with what they would call the pre-existent soul, what we would call reincarnation. They did believe that some people could have lived a previous life. Okay, They were kind of playing with that idea because they saw things in society and so perhaps the disciples were grabbing a hold of that and believing that this person had sinned in a previous life. 
and was being judged in this life for what that person did. Or this person's parents, which we meet in the story and they seem pretty mellow, but this person's parents did a great sin. And as their sin is great, God is also punishing them, but also their children and perhaps even their grandchildren to, as the Bible talks about, the third and fourth generation. And so Jesus says, nah, that's not true. Jesus says that has sin has nothing to do with this as a cause and effect. Now, this person would not be blind were it not for sin, were it not for the sin nature, were it not for humanity being broken because of sin, but there is not a specific punishment on this person because of somebody else's sin. If you want to look into the God's view of intergenerational sin, Exodus 34 is the discussion between God and Moses about will God punish generations for parents' sin, and what God says, no, I won't, but if you have, you know, the Amalekites are really nasty people, then they will be punished for third or fourth generation, and you have evidences of people who came against the Jewish people during their wandering, and God says they're not allowed to be part of your group for ten generations, okay, that they were so evil to the Jewish people during their wandering that God wanted the evil people to be totally removed from the thinking. But generally speaking, if you get a cold, you don't get a cold because you sinned greatly and God is punishing you. That is what the Bible is speaking about says that is not usually the case, that general maladies, that if we see somebody born with a birth defect, it is not necessarily because of the sin of the parents. And Jesus says it wasn't this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, this is just something that happens. There are events in this world that we look at and we say it's unfortunate, but there's no reasoning and there's no cause because it is just part of the sinful world we have created, that we have created a sinful society and a sinful culture, and we have sin in our own lives, and therefore accidents happen, bad things happen, difficult things happen, and we can't point to a particular sin and say it's punishment. And so other people have asked, well, did God make this person be born blind so that Jesus could heal him? And that's not the right way to look at it. There is sin, there is malady, there is difficulty, there is a person who is born blind because of the sinful condition of the world, and Jesus is going to take that person and display the glorious works of God. Jesus then says, We must work with the works of him who sent me, God, while it is day. 
Jesus talked several times about day and night. Day is when Jesus walked the earth. When Jesus walked the earth, you had the amazing first-hand miracles of Jesus while he walked the earth. That was daytime. When he died, was resurrected, and ascended, then it became nighttime, and Jesus' works now come through us, but not nearly the level that it was at when Jesus walked the earth. So Jesus is saying that there is a short period of time that he must heal as many people as possible. And you say, well, how many people did he heal? There was a Roman poet who said during the time of Jesus, the area of the Jordan Valley became disease-free. People who looked at what Jesus was doing as an objective thing to look at said nobody was sick in this area called the Jordan Valley, that nobody was limping, nobody was blind, that Jesus healed them all. And it's really quite possible that during his life, as he got eventually to everybody in that area, he healed everybody who came, and it was an amazing time of no sickness in the Palestinian, in the Jordan Valley area, because Jesus was here, and when he left, of course, the, the, the sin began to take hold again, and as Christians spread, we cannot do everything that Jesus did. And so, what is the miracle? Jesus spits on the ground. He makes a little mud from the dirt because it's a dirt ground. And he takes the mud and applies it to his eyes, probably his eyelids, and says, go wash in the uh, pool of Siloam. And it, we're just informed by John that that means sent in Hebrew. That's just a bit of trivia. And we know where that is. We have figured it out. There's been archaeology that people now believe they know where this, this uh, Salome pool was. It was a public Greek bath. Uh, back then you didn't have, unless you're very rich, your own bathtub. You would go to a public bath and you would bathe along with everybody else. And Jesus tells this person to go there and we have to believe that he was led uh, it is a kind of a distance from the temple to this place, so it's probably a couple hours, okay? The guy goes, he bathes, and he comes back seeing. We do not know when the miracle happened. We, we believe that he goes under the water, he washes off his eyes, and boom, he opens them, and he now sees light for the first time. And he comes back seeing, he comes back and reports to Jesus what the miracle is. Now this is an amazing miracle. How amazing? It even says, says in John 9.32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And that's true. Get on your internet machine, look for it. Nobody is doing this. Nobody's doing it now. I did a little search on this. And there are people who think in about 30 years they'll be able to do some sort of computer implant in your brain. 
And if you're blind, they will fake up the eyes, basically, with computer chips. Now, we've been able to fix hearing quite well. People born deaf, we were pretty good at, at making that a fixed thing. But eyes are tough. Audio is easy. Video is hard, okay? It's very difficult to fix the eyes. And even today, people are scratching their head. If somebody is born blind, they are that way for their whole life. It has always been that way, except for this one guy. And so it's a major, I mean, major thing. And the only one in the history of the world. Medicine can't do it. Faith healers can't do it. Nobody can do it except this one guy, born blind, and Jesus healed him. And the rest of the chapter is people unbelieving this. The neighbors who had seen him as a beggar were saying, isn't that the guy who used to beg? And other people go, no, that's not him, but it's like him, or that's his brother. Or think, they, they won't believe that this guy who has been born blind for perhaps decades, we don't know, 30, 20, 30, we don't know how old he was, but his whole life he was blind, and now he sees. And so there's a debate between his parents and the Sanhedrin, and it, the, the hitting point, the point that really upset the Pharisees is verse 14. It says it was now a Sabbath day. Now, if Jesus had done this on a Tuesday, there wouldn't have been such a fight. But Jesus purposefully did it on a Saturday because he wanted to show the Pharisees and the priests their Sabbath rules were ungodly, were self-serving and had nothing to do with God. What didn't they like? Well, it's illegal in uh, Jewish law to make brick on the Sabbath. And so they're saying, Jesus spit in the dirt and made mud. That's kind of like making a brick. So that was the sin and that he did. It's also illegal to apply medicine on a Sabbath day. And since saliva was involved, they said, well, that's applying medicine on the Sabbath day. People who have looked at Jewish law and what Jesus did, it is possible that he had violated as many as nine of the made-up Sabbath rules that the Pharisees were putting upon people, ones that you will not find in the Bible, ones that you will not find taught by Moses. It is all things that were invented as time went on to give more power to the religious ruling class over the people. And so they go back and forth for 41 verses, and they're calling Jesus a sinner. If he's a sinner, he cannot do miracles. But yet, here's this guy. Here's this guy we know. They call in his parents and say, is this your son? Yes, it was our son. Was your son born blind? And the parents say, I don't know, ask him. So the parents are even scared of the religious leaders and do not get involved, but they're questioned heavily by the Sanhedrin. And then this person, go all the way over to 35. Jesus, uh, this person gets cast out of the synagogue, which means he's cast out of Jewish religious life. 
Okay, he is no longer a practicing Jew is what that means. They kicked him out of the Jewish faith. And so in 35, it says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus seeks him out. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him. You have seen him now because you can see. And it is him who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What does this mean? It means this person is saved. Only saved people worship Jesus. Only saved people call Jesus by the right name. Only saved people respond to Jesus in this way. And so we're going to see this guy in heaven. We can ask him about it. And we can talk to him about this great miracle that had happened. And then Jesus ends by saying, For judgment I came into the world, that those who, those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So the Pharisees thought they were amazing in their spiritual insight. Jesus is calling them blind. Jesus talks to this person who knows nothing except Jesus healed him, and Jesus is calling him sighted. So if I am all full of myself, if I am believing I am God's gift to religion or whatever, Jesus is saying, you're blind and you're lost. You're under the judgment of God. But if you come humbly saying, I know nothing except who Jesus is, then Jesus says, you're the ones who can see and you're the ones who will be saved, and you are the ones that we will spend eternity with in heaven. Jesus can do anything. He is the only one who's ever successfully healed a man born blind. He is the only one who can give spiritual sight to those who are dead in their sins, and he is the only one who can give truth and new life in him. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this truth and this understanding that Jesus is all in all, that he is the great miracle worker, that he has done so many great things that people looking at his work called the Jordan Valley disease-free for at least a couple years. Lord, we praise you for that. And as your blessing upon this time, we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.